0: Welcome to the Stop Down Photography Podcast, episode 86. I'm Scott Davenport. Today's topic, preparing for the Oregon coast and setting some artistic goals. Hi, welcome, thanks for joining me today. I'm glad to be back for another chat about photography, this passion we share, and in today's episode, let's take one more step on our never-ending journey of photography. In just a few short weeks, I will be on the Oregon coast for some photography, and I am spending the time leading up to my trip preparing. Of course, I'm thinking about the locations I wanna visit and photograph, and the gear I need to bring to capture those images, but I'm also doing something a little different this time. I am thinking about the ideas and concepts I want to photograph. Thinking beyond the places, beyond the things, In essence, I am setting some artistic goals, and in this episode, I'll share with you how I'm preparing for this photo trip, both logistically and artistically. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it with a friend, on social media, with your camera club, and if you can, please leave a rating for the podcast. Ratings really help other photographers find out about the show, keeps us on the radar, helps our community here grow. If you're an Apple user, you can rate directly in the podcast app. If you're on the web or using Android, you can leave a rating at podchaser.com. Links in the show notes. All right. So yes, finally, my first big photo trip since the pandemic began and the Oregon coast. That's a pretty darn great place to go. Preparing for a photo trip is its own level of enjoyment, right? I mean, the anticipation of capturing the images, a new place or a familiar favorite. I like the prep work. It gets me excited about the trip. Now, most of my time on the Oregon coast is to host a pair of workshops, and then I'll have a little time in between for some solo work. Now, preparation for a workshop versus a solo trip, they're different. When I'm on my own, I can subject myself to long drives in the wee hours of the morning, really bad weather, very long days out in the field, you know, where an energy bar and a Pepsi is like a meal, you know, that kind of stuff. To put it bluntly, I can and will abuse myself in ways that I would never do to a group. Yet the major areas to prepare for are the same there's the gear that you'll bring, there's the locations that you'll visit. And then there's the capture goals you aim for. So the gear, you know, that's common across hosting a workshop, participating in a workshop, going out on your own. I'm always asked about what gear I'm bringing or what I'm carrying. So let me just run that down for you. I'll put links in the show notes to all the different gear pieces I mention if you are interested in that or you hear about something like, "Ooh, I want to add that to my kit." But for me, it's honestly pretty straightforward affair. I have two sets of gear that I will tend to when I'm heading into the field. Now there's the photographic kit and then the videography kit. So first, the photo kit. I've got two camera bodies. Both are Sony a7R 2s So five, six-year-old cameras. They serve me well. They work great. But I like the dual bodies because I get two things. Redundancy, because cameras break, hopefully not because I drop them, but you know, sometimes you know, they're machines. Machines can break down. So having two bodies protects me from not having a camera in the field. And then flexibility, when I'll mount my two most used lenses, one per body, and in the field, I'm swapping cameras, not lenses. I don't have to swap lenses, expose the sensor to the elements uh, unless I really need to, but it also makes me more reactive to field conditions. I can change my shooting style by quickly just getting another camera in my hand as opposed to taking the minute or two is to swap a lens. I miss fewer shots. Now as for my lenses, my workhorses are a 16 to 35 millimeter and a 24 to 70 millimeter. Both of those are uh, F4, lenses. Uh, That covers me for my wide angle, my mid-range. That's where a lot of my photography lives. I do carry a 70 to 200 millimeter lens, and that sits in the backpack a lot of the times, occasionally comes out. And the remainder of the kit is the ancillary stuff. My filters, uh, I use three, six, and 10 stop ND filters are my primary ones. Polarizers, almost a necessity for landscape work, especially in Oregon, a lot of wet foliage. Polarizers are great to tame some of the glare there. You know, a tripod, of course, memory cards, lens wipes, you know, all those types of things. But this kit, it doesn't take much thought. It's the same kit that I've used for the last six years, seven years, no, at least six, at least six years. Now, the second set of kit is for video work. Now, this is the equipment that I use to get the behind the scenes footage for my ongoing in the field series I run on YouTube. I've got one main camera for that, a Sony A6400, and it has a 20mm prime lens and a 6400 to crop sensor, so it's like a 35mm equivalent. Good all around lens for capturing the type of field work that I need to be capturing. And I use a variable neutral density filter on that lens. For still works, I tend not to use variable NDs, um, but for film, I, I love them. They're just much more flexible and fluid and uh, easier to work with. I can put the, the ring on there and it's this little magnetic system from Haida so I can easily uh, change whichever ND filter is needed and dial in just what's necessary for the filming. And then I've got B-roll cameras. I carry a DJI Osmo. This is a little pocket gimbal video camera. It's great for when you're walking or moving, I know, panning shots, it's wonderful for. And I have a Sony RX0. This is a little rugged waterproof camera, uh, great for B-roll. It's like the size and stature of a GoPro, and so I can stick it on the ground, you know, tuck it up in the nook of a tree, you know, balance it on a rock. And I don't have to worry if it falls down and takes a tumble, it's not going to get damaged. It's a strong, sturdy B-roll kind of camera. Now this video kit, this only comes out during my solo work. Maybe the DJI Osmo during a workshop for a quick video clip of the group, but otherwise I do not do video work during a workshop because my focus is on the participants of the workshop, helping them capture their images not creating video content for YouTube. (laughs) All right, now what about the other two things, locations and capture goals? Uh, For me, these two are intertwined because the artistic capture goal I may have might influence the location choice or vice versa. There's a location I have my heart set on and that may influence the types of photos I go after. Now, before I go further with this part of the podcast, this explanation here, I need to clarify the discussion. What I'm about to describe, this is for my solo time in Oregon, not what's going to happen on the workshops. Now for workshops, many of the locations are firm, if not fixed, because when I'm hosting a group, you're taking people to these locations to get photos, they're well scouted because I'm minimizing logistical surprises for the group. You know, Location, flexibility, and what places get chosen, that's much more driven by weather or tide conditions. Because, uh, for me, I, if, I'm, if I'm hosting a workshop, my main job as I see it is to maximize photo opportunities for the photographers that are on the workshop. And for landscape work, that's a blend of location, of time of day, of weather conditions. So um, if you're listening and attending one of the two workshops I'm hosting soon, don't worry. The workshop is not an exploration of Scott's artistic desires. Not at all. There is much more certainty with the workshops and locations will be well scouted. Access is well known, all that stuff. So, so with that context, like I said in the intro, I'm trying something a little different with this trip. A couple of episodes back, episode 84 of this podcast, the topic was photographing ideas and not just places and things. Now, if you haven't listened to that episode, it will give you some additional context for what I'm about to describe. So, you know, I can press pause, have a listen. I'll be here when you get back. So as I think about these artistic goals, I've been thinking about the Pacific Northwest. What are the themes and the feelings that it elicits, at least for me? As primarily a seascape photographer, one of the first things that entered my mind is the idea of power. The tide swings in the Pacific Northwest are much broader than what I see in Southern California. Now, wave heights tend to be a lot larger too. You know, in San Diego where I am, you know, five to six foot wave—that's like a big deal. That's kind of rare. But in November in Oregon, five or six feet—that's on the low end. You know, eight to ten foot waves much more common. Plus higher tides to go with that. There is a really good opportunity to explore the concept of power as it relates to the ocean. And so with that concept in mind, I start thinking about locations, you know, how do I pair up this idea of power with a location to, you know, capture, you know, large, powerful waves. And I'm thinking about Shore Acres State Park. This is in the Coos Bay area. Get there at a higher tide. This area is on a cliff face. There's outcroppings of land, chunks of rock in the ocean. Some of them have really cool uh, striations, you know, the different land strata at, at, at different angles. Really cool features of just the land itself and then add in the winter waves Pounding away on these rocks these cliffs throwing up arcs of water tens of feet in the air that juxtaposition of immovable rock and crashing water That is invoking power for me and that's intriguing So that's one theme. I'll be looking at when I'm out there in Oregon photographing power And this actually raises a second theme I'm thinking about, where things meet. So the Pacific Northwest, it's got a lot of geological features, mountains, beaches, cliffs, deserts, evergreens, of course. And the places where these different ecosystems meet are interesting. Evergreens right up against the ocean, where the river meets the ocean. Uh, I recall some places where the evergreen trees come up right against clean, rolling sand dunes. So uh, I don't quite have a single location in mind for this, but the idea of where things meet is something that I'll try to be more mentally attuned to as I'm out photographing. And this idea could extend, right? It could just be where hard meets soft, man meets nature, that sort of thing, just trying to be aware of those, um, not even opposites, but just juxtaposition of these things where two different uh, worlds or ecosystems come together. And there's one other theme I'm thinking about too. The third one is the off season. One of the reasons I like the Oregon coast in November is because it's the off season. And if that's a phrase you've not heard before, I'm not sure how American that phrase is or not, it just means it's not peak time for visitors. Off season is fewer tourists, fewer vacationers. Places are just quiet. Some towns go dormant in the off season. They might completely shut down. Others just kind of uh, slow down. The shops open, close, may um, say reduced hours. The harbors are quieter, the roads are emptier. Yet for the things that are still there in the off season, the people, the animals, the structures, even the plant life, to me there's a certain strength to them. You know, these things might be weathered, maybe they look a little rough around the edges. You know, they just finished their high season and they're recuperating, or you know, kind of uh, just recovering from you know the onslaught of a, of a tourist season. You know, but the, you know, the boats and the buildings maybe get battened down for the winter. Uh, I see pedestrians walking that one or two kilometers into town for supplies in that light yet stinging rain. The, the trees that still stand tall despite the stiff winds coming off the ocean, whipping them constantly. There's this feeling of uh, rugged determination, self-reliance in the off-season. It's a, just a different mood for a town and a different mood for photography. So I'm interested to explore that and see if I'm able to capture it. And I'll admit, this one is probably going to be the most difficult for me because it's a very amorphous idea, the off season. It doesn't really connect with something direct or obvious for me. So uh, we'll see how this one goes. And I'm, I'm also interested just to see how this form of thinking about a photo trip is going to affect my photography. It's going to be an interesting line to walk. This pre-visualization is good, I think. Thinking about themes is good. Opening up mental pathways is good. And I think I'll be more receptive to seeing these photo opportunities. But I also don't want to close myself off to different opportunities or to force a theme when it's not there. I still want to remain open to what the Oregon coast will just present, those uh, happy accidents that we can never quite predict. But either way, I'll have my camera in hand, ready to capture some images, and I am definitely looking forward to this trip. A small bit of studio news this week, I'm recording this podcast the Sunday before it posts and tomorrow on Monday, I'm giving a presentation to a local camera club. It's about post-processing and developing photos with intent. It's kind of like a mini version of my video course, Story and Vision. I've mentioned that in the podcast before. I'll put a link in the show notes if you missed that episode, you want to check it out. But the, uh, the aim of this is to think about your post-processing a little bit differently. It's not just throw down filters, push a couple of sliders around. It's knowing the story of your photo, what you want to emphasize, why you want to emphasize it, and then go about making that happen and crafting your photo. I'm anticipating that I will get a recording of this presentation, and assuming I do, I'm going to make that available to the members of our Patreon community. That's a tangible way I can say thank you to the folks on Patreon because it is your pledges that make the Stop Down Photography Podcast possible. And it also keeps the free tutorial videos flowing on YouTube. So thank you very much for your support. I am very, very hopeful that I'll be able to share this presentation with you. If you're interested in learning more about the Patreon community, check the show notes. There's links there. And I know that a financial commitment every month isn't possible for everyone. There are also many zero-cost ways you can support the show, leaving a review, sharing the podcast on social media. There are links in the show notes to the Support the Show area. If you're on the web, there's a Support the Show button on every page of StopDownPodcast.com. It has a whole list of things that you can do to support the show that don't cost you a penny. And that will wrap up this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you're planning your own photo trip, I hope this gives you some other things to think about when you're planning your trip. Once I'm through this excursion to Oregon and have seen how uh, well I did on some of these artistic goals, I'll be sure to share some, uh, some thoughts and some observations with you here on a future podcast. And until next time, my name's Scott Davenport. Have fun.